So there's something of time where each group comes up and maybe just shares something that they did. So can we have a naturalist first? Are they back? Or are they still, in, are they still off in a free yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Who are the naturalists? Yeah. Love Come on up. Um, I don't know why I got chosen to uh, speak because I, I came into the meeting about halfway through, so half the stuff I can't remember anyway. Um, so uh, my our group will be speaking out to anything I, I don't pick up on. Um, so um, naturalists, yeah, we very much need to get out there to to visualise God. Um, you know, we can sing in church, "How great Thou art." But it's, it's difficult to, to really be mind-blown about it until we see some beautiful bit of nature, some high mountain, some beautiful stream, something like that. So we, we see God so very much in the nature around about us. And a, a suggestion from our group, I don't know if anybody's taking notes for, for use in the church, um, when we're singing, um, singing our hymns and choruses, perhaps we could have a projection of some mountains and nature, you know, flowers and all this sort of stuff. Because for us, naturalists, uh, naturalists, <laughs> was Jeff volunteering to take your clothes off? Yes, you were right. Um, um, yeah, it would just help us tremendously just to have those visual cues. Um, I, I suppose we're, we're a bit central in that in that fact, in that we we, we need to be seeing something with our eyes to um, to help us grasp the. Uh, the majesty of, of what we're singing sometimes. So that would really help us, um, anybody fancies doing that on the projection. Um, what else did we say, team? Uh, we spoke about the seasons. Well, I spoke about, um, especially of spring, after a long, hard, dark, cold winter, to see the first shoots coming through and the lighter evening. That's very special for me because um, I do suffer from a bit of depression, particularly over the winter. And the new life of spring, as I said, it's just so amazing for me. It's my favourite time of year, and it really uplifts my spirit. So you know, it's very, very important uh, for, for many of us. Anything else? I've got a follow-on. So uh, I was in a group, and I said, oh, this out, I paid a huge price for you, all the Egypt, which pushed the sea training. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. It's a tricky bit now. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back, trade the creation just for you. So however, how are we going to the creation then? to have all those, that vast variety, but, but like, just had that reading. God did it to, to give us that sense of, you know, enthusiasm, wonder, and enjoyment of, of what he's created. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Thank you. And just to say on that, you had loads, how many naturalists were there? There was a fair few of you, wasn't there? There was about, was there about ten of you. More than that. I mean, it's important to think to yourself, this is, the, this is their Gethsemane. This is, so one of the things that came about when I did this with Westbury was um, we set up once a month a sort of a walkie church where we, 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 we intentionally went for a walk in nature together and we would pray every month, you know, on our journey and, we, you know, we'd have a few readings and... Um, you know, just recognising that that's just a huge part of, uh, of people's lives. And on a personal point of view, um, I don't know how many of you, whenever you may have done marriage preparation, so the, the, the old common one is date night. You know, we, we can spend time with each other, but it's good to have an intentional time to just see how you're doing. Um, so something I do in my own life is that, yes, I'm with God all the time, but uh, once a week I go for a same walk each time, which is up at uh, King's Western House. And I start the walk with just simply, Lord God, this is your time. Um, and I walk for half an hour, 45 minutes, and with no prayer, but just sort of, this is what's going on, Lord. And at the end of it, I simply say, Amen. 
And uh, so there's a way for, to find your Gethsemane when you're, when you're naturalist is, how can I be in nature enough of a time that I can go deeper with God? How can I find a time? How can I fit in my rhythms of my week? And how can we fit that in with the church life? The word I can't say, someone said it for me, Lovely? Sensei. Sensei group. Was there any? There wasn't any. Uh, traditionalists. There wasn't any traditionalists. Who was there? Aesthetic. There was two. Three.
is making sure that we don't plan services alone sometimes, making sure we've got the wide people with us. I mean, the most powerful service of the year at Westbury is Good Friday. We, we actually bang nails into the cross. And that idea of touch, of actually physically experiencing the bang the nails in the cross, uh, maybe if you're preaching, say, on, um, I don't know, salt and light, actually to have salt to taste uh, might give people a different impact. So just being creative in the way that we teach and look at things and learn things is going to be important. And I don't know what you're up to this afternoon, but Buckfast Abbey has the most incredible stained glass window, and I'm not somebody who gets passionate about stained glass window. But I can sit for an hour just looking at the picture of Jesus in Buckfast Abbey. Uh, so thinking of ways to, to impact people through the senses. Uh, where are we at? Activists. Activists? No activists. Caregivers. There was definitely caregivers. Thank you, Jill. I'm acting as a spokesperson for this group, and I guess in all of us there is a certain amount of caring that possibly we don't even recognise. But we went round the group and we just put a certain number of headings here. Um, so the first one was providing meals for people. I mean, a lot of this is actually sort of hands-on stuff, obviously. Um, and then we care for our children as, pa as parents. And um, do we recognise that is a, a very definite sort of caring situation, um, particularly um, in, as a Gethsemane? Yes, we care for them, we feed them, we dress them and do all the rest of it, but um, there's a lot more to it than that, we all know. Uh, somebody else talked about um, welcoming new people into our church. Uh, it's very much a caring situation. And offering friendship, just ordinary friendship. Praying for people in need. Uh, sometimes we don't always know, but when we do, it's good to pray for them. And sometimes with them, too. Um, Organising thing, organising for things to go smoothly. If there's an event coming on, um, somehow or other, does it, it has to be organised so that it will run smoothly and everyone knows what they're doing when and where and how. Um, somebody talked about getting to know people because we're all different and getting to know each other's characters. Um, and then we see more and more within that person and can perhaps develop a a better sort of insight as to how they tick. Um, encourage community and sharing, which we do a certain amount. Um, sharing and providing things, tangible, offering to actual tangible, uh, tangible care, which we talked about slightly with um, give, um, preparing meals for people. Uh, being, being available and spotting people's needs. Not always being asked to go and do something, but just being available and spotting what people need. Um, setting time, setting aside time to be available, to be caring. Um, we're busy sometimes. After church, I notice sometimes we're busy talking to everybody else and there's somebody here that actually we'd like somebody to just go and sit by them and have a little chat. Um, being approachable and a good listener and certainly being non-judgmental. Um, and being a bridge between church and a non-church person. Possibly, sometimes it's easier to uh, talk to a non-church person or somebody uh, who we know is sort of on the fringe rather than saying to them, come to this meeting with me. You know? um, so that's as far as we got really. And we admit that we didn't really get round to thinking how we can encourage more of this and how we can put it into place. Thank you, Jim. My, my wife has learned more about God being a mother than she ever did as a Baptist minister. And, um, and actually, you know, she still has this um, traditional church gift that she's not one of these who can sit down in the morning and read passages of scripture and pray those long prayers. And uh, what I keep saying to her is, your Gethsemane is caring for others. It's in being a mother. It's in going around and laying hands and praying for people. And actually, if your gift suddenly is you meet with God because you're serving the poor or you're serving the sick and you're bringing words and pictures to them to encourage them, spend as much time as you can doing that. If your gift suddenly is going down a list of people and going to visit them and praying for them and being with them, if that's where you meet with God, that's fine. You might never be a contributive. You might never be someone who can get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and 
read. To, the joke with my wife is that she's read the Bible through in a year, and she's only ever got to about Genesis 8. But she knows the first few chapters of Genesis like the back of her hand. She's fantastic. One Genesis, one to, But she's the most wonderful woman you ever meet. She meets up with me. Uh, enthusiasts. Society 
is looking for just space and a place to breathe and a place to, to listen, um, mindfulness to self. Um, uh, but for us, vigil listening to God and society. And, and the only other thing I would say is some of us who, who are paid professionals to be at the front, we feel like we must have noise all the time. And uh, what some I've been working really hard on is recognising that there needs to be space in the service as well. You know, even if it's... I, I came across, you know, we sometimes label churches. I went to college with a, a really high church person, and I just thought we had nothing in common. I was this wacky charismatic, and she was this real sort of high church smells and bells. And um, but she, she explained to me that after every sermon, they had ten minutes of just silence. They all just sat there for ten minutes. It scares the life out of me. And then they would have a time of people just coming up and giving words of what God's been doing. And I just thought, isn't that amazing? And uh, sometimes I think we're a bit scared of the quiet silence, and we try to fill it up with, we must be doing stuff. But to allow a place in our services, because there's so many contexts today, and uh, to allow a place in our service where we can just be and actually trust that God be at work without us having to sing or teach or preach. But he says that to someone who's scared of silence. And uh, the last one, intellectuals. Thank you. I have a handout on these notes, if I can. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us were surprised to find ourselves in this group, but we discovered we had a lot in common. Um, learning about God is not just an intellectual exercise, um, although we can, we can be tempted to make it so when reading our Bible. Um, truths about God in a book or sermon help us to worship and give us an excitement about God. We have a delight in God's word, how it all fits together. And so we are enthusiasts, but it might be internal. And um, so ways to do it more often in our week, we found that regular time was the key, uh, whether it's 50 minutes at the start of the day or in a Bible study with others. Um, podcasts in a car were a way of um, hearing sermons again or books and um, sharing a book, reading a book and being excited by it and then sharing it with others was uh, a good way to uh, help us and spread our excitement. Um, and ways to help us in service, help intellectuals in service. Um, words of hymns and songs contain such truths about God. Uh, to, and we, we tend to remember these perhaps in a week. In a service, perhaps interspersing sermon and worship more, because intellectuals <coughs> find um, our worship can be based on truth then, rather than coming cold into a worship session and not having that knowledge to, to, make, to inspire us. And um, just one other little thing, uh, we find it can be very difficult with young children for intellectuals because there's not the time in the day. And so the ser service is a very important opportunity for intellectuals because it's maybe the only time you get in the week. Anything else I've missed out, intellectuals? Thank you. Thank you. Just a top tip for intellectuals, which I'm not, but... Um, is, um, you'll come across some called Lectio Divina. Yes. Love it. no, it's just fantastic. So, um, I don't know, it, there's always been a sort of traditional evangelical idea. We must read the Bible for a year, every year. And uh, we sort of read three chapters a day and sort of forget what it means about an hour later. Um, but Lectio Divina, it takes smaller passages of scripture. And I, so what I tend to do is I'll, I'll, I'll take a passage of scripture and I'll spend a week reading it. And, uh, and I'll, so each day I'll read it through and I'll read it through, and then I'll read it through. And I do that every day. And what happens is you start to live with the word, and you start to ask, what's God saying now, and what's he doing with that? And it just gives us a daily rhythm to be battling and wrestling with scripture. The lecture, you know, reading the same bit of scripture for a few times, until almost you memorize that, actually. I tend to memorize bits of scripture from that. But find that a regular rhythm, and it's something you can do in about 20 minutes, something you can do at lunch break, it's something you can do in the evening, it's something you can do at any time of day. But I do recommend that. As a way in. So you should you know your Gethsemane. And you know that you must spend as much time there going deeper. Because that's where we can become equipped in our identity, our character, our gifts. To then go and enlarge Shalom wherever we go. But it's difficult to go deeper, isn't it? It's difficult to find time to find those rhythms. We're all busy people. 
and I'm guessing Ken drove similar to Westbury. Lots going on, lots of stuff going on. Uh, I used to come down this way, I'm a Dorset boy, we used to come down to Devon and Cornwall quite often, and believe it or not, I used to surf. I can show you my tattoo of a wave going over my shoulder there, but I won't because it involved me taking my shirt off. And, and that's not my spiritual pathway. But, uh, I don't serve anymore because I'm worried I'll be harpooned and thrown into deeper water. But there was one day that um, we went to, one of my favourite places to serve was a place called Trevara Strand, just near Tintagel. Fantastic beach, got pub overlooking the coast, which is also a bonus. And uh, one day I would go surfing, and I don't know if you ever go to Hawaii or south of France, the surfing goes like this. Wave. Wave. In England, it's all good. Wave, 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 wave. And uh, one day, we were out in the trials ground, and I got, I got down, and I was on the board, and I caught a wave, and I fell off straight away. And I was caught in what's called the mushy stuff, you know, all the white, and all the froth. And I was sat underwater, and uh, finally, I just managed to get up in between the wave, and I'd have a breath. And then the next wave would drop on my head, and then I'd get sucked under, and I'd get back up, and finally I'd find another breath, and another wave would fall down on my head. And then finally I was rescued by my mate, chucked on the board, and taken to shore. But I don't know about you, but life feels a bit like that sometimes. It feels like wave, 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 wave. We think we're finally going to get a breath and a time to be still, a time in our Gethsemane. And then there's a wave, there's a children's club, there's a work thing, there's a job to do on a church rota, there's something going on, and it's wave, 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 wave. I want to share with you that you might be thinking, I like what Ben said this morning, and when I've got time and space, I will find my gifts, don't you? You might say to yourself, when the children are all at school, I will have space and I will find my Gethsemane. But in the meantime, I'm just going to struggle on. You might say, I've got this big project at work. When I've finished it and I've got calm, I'll find my Gethsemane. You might be thinking, when I get to retirement and the waves stop crashing, I will find my Gethsemane and I'll be equal to God. And I just want to say something quite poignant, I think. Life doesn't happen in a distant future where there's no waves. Life happens in the meantime. And God calls us today to go deeper with him. God calls us today to find those Gethsemane's in our everyday. And God calls us here and now because he wants to shape us and fill us with the Spirit. And there's one way that we can help each other find our Gethsemane's. Hear these words from Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. <coughs> Now these are the gifts of Jesus Christ that he gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. And their responsibility is to equip all of God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity and faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now listen to this. So when we as pastors, evangelists, and teachers, and prophets, when we're all helping each and every one of us find our Gethsemane's and find our role in the church, we will no longer be immature like children. We'll no longer be tossed and blown around by the winds of teaching. We will no longer be influenced when people try to trick us with lies, lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Grow in every way more and more like Jesus Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. If each one of us is coming to church and offering all that we are, all our talents, all our goodness, if each one of us is serious about finding our Gethsemane, if all of us are serious about doing that as a community, we're told that no longer will we feel like we're being hit by wave after wave after wave after wave. But instead, we will shine like stars to still the Philippine church to a perverse and crooked generation. If there was a passage of scripture I'm most passionate about, it's possibly the end of Acts chapter 2. And it's that fellowship of early believers. And there we learn that they're a community where everybody's growing in their spirituality. 
It's a place where no one is in need as everybody gives to others. It's a community where they meet together so regular that they're in each other's homes and they're sharing meals. It's a community where they see miraculous signs as they see the healing of the sick and the good news to the poor. It's a community where the love is so incredible and they sit and awe with the teaching of the apostles. It's a community that's so attractive that people find it beautiful and join every day as the Lord adds to their number. It's a community that goes out into Solomon's colonnade and starts to heal the sick. It's a community that goes off and starts a food bank for the widows and the poor. It's a radical, beautiful community. We've got a problem in the West. I was with a load of ministers in Bristol just a few weeks ago, and we are talking about our issues and what was going well. And each and everybody said, we've got a difficulty of keeping people. Um, even Woody's, uh, Dave Mitchell, shared that he's got a large front door. Lots of people are coming on a Sunday and trying it out, but loads of people are leaving for an even larger back door. And what I want to suggest to you, and stone me if you like, <laughs> is that the answer for today in a church where only 9% are committed Christians and probably only 6% in church on a Sunday, is not finding the best preacher, the best worship leader, the best IT, the best coffee. I'm going to ask and perhaps say that what people are really looking for is a radical community. They're looking for a place where they can belong, where they can be shaped by those around them who love them and can help them on a journey to who they really are, God's beloved, created and adored by him. I think that what our calling is, is to be like Acts 2, a radical, beautiful community that don't meet just once a week, that don't perhaps meet once a week and for those who are really keen on a Thursday night, but perhaps are in each other's lives and can truly and authentically say, we're family, we love each other, we're walking together. And when we get it right, church is so beautiful. I was coming back from a holiday in Leek, I don't recommend it. <laughs> it was the cheapest and it was great. It was also November. I really don't recommend Leak in November. And um, on the way back, the radio was on and I heard this tragic news that a guy called Cliff Hadmore had died in a car crash at the age of 21 in Dorset. And instantly I started to, to panic because we had a lady called Flo Hadmore who came to our church. And as I got back into action and went to start the day, I realised that it was my church member's son who had died in a tragic car crash. I uh, started to be desperately worried about, I've not been here, I've been on holiday. Has anybody been to see them? What's going on? And I needn't have worried, because when I went to see them the day I got back, the house was just filled with cars. The freezer and the fridge were filled with meals. Uh, There had been rooms made available for relatives in America and Jamaica to to come and stay. And they had been completely and utterly blessed. They had been prayed for by the elders. And I felt so proud, if I can say that word, of the church. Now Gregory, the husband, was a Jehovah Witness. Uh, I hadn't been to church for years. And I said to Gregory, I prayed for him, and I felt God give me the word that was, I think God's going to do something beautiful from this. I know that's a horrible thing to say at this point, but I just get this sense I need to tell you that. I did the funeral, and uh, Gregory started to come to church. So he came to church, enjoyed the coffee, enjoyed the worship, enjoyed the preaching. He came on an alpha course. He did the men's walking weekends. He went on a prayer, prayer training. He went on to the prayer group every Monday night. He started to go to a house group. He started to get involved with all this other stuff. And one week before I, uh, I um, left Camford, Gregory asked me to baptise him. And uh, it was a bit of an issue because we didn't have a baptismal pool. We always baptised in the sea. And this was April and he's Jamaican. So we found a church where there was a warm baptismal pool. And I'll never forget what Gregory did was he stood up and he said, a year ago, the worst thing happened. My son died in a car crash. And he said, Ben shared with me that God was going to do something beautiful through this. And he said, I want you to know that because of each one of you here, I found healing, I found hope, and I want to go and bless others in the same way that you've blessed me. That wasn't me who did anything. That was every single member of our church coming together with all their gifts and all their talents and all that they could offer 
And it went one bloke from the worst possible place to a place where he had found healing and hope for the future. Radical community. And there are four things I just want to quickly say, and I'm really quick because I really want you to pray together in a minute. There's four things I think that you and I can do in our churches to help us become these beautiful communities. The first is, we need to be all in. There's a chapter, uh, chapter 5 4, and my brain's gone dead now, uh, of Ananias and Sophia. And I think I'm the first person to do a trip who can mention this in the passage. Because for those of you who know the story, they come to the community and act this radical fellowship, and uh, they give some of what they've got and hold back some to their own. And uh, what happens is they're killed. And it's an awful story. And uh, what it does is it paints us a picture of how their community was. Anybody played poker here? A couple dodgy ones. And, uh, so let me just create a scene for you. Imagine uh, Mackie had his hand up. So imagine Mackie and his name uh, around the table. And they've usually got vines on, a cigar in their mouth. And, uh, they've got their cards. And uh, also by their cards, they have all their coins, all their money, all that they've got to bet with. And every now and again, you take it in turns to say, I'll bet that, and I'll bet that. Now every now and again on poker, if you've got a really strong hand, you might do this. Get all your coins and say, I'm all in. I'm all in. And what happened in that fellowship of Acts is that they're all sat around that table and everything they've got, their jobs, their money, their land, their character, their gifts, their neighbours, their children, everything they have, they've gone, we're all in for Jesus. And Ananias and Sophia came along and said, we're all in whilst grabbing half of it and keeping it to themselves. We learn that the reason that passage in Acts is so beautiful is because every single believer was all in. So may I just ask you the question, are you all in for Ken's Road? Are you all in for that community? Is everything you've got, every desire, every breath, every part of your life, have you said, I'm all in for Jesus? I'm all in to this community. Because the good thing is, is that unlike poker, it's not a gamble. We have the strongest hand there is, which is Jesus Christ who came and died and rose again so that we can have eternal life. First of all, we can be all in. The second thing is, we can look at each other differently. Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindreds live together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down upon a beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, with which falls on Mount Zion. For there the Lord's ordained his blessing, life forevermore. The picture comes from Exodus 29, where instructions are given for the ordination of Aaron and the other priests. And after the sacrifices are prepared, Aaron's dressed in priestly vestments. And then this is the direction. Take the anointing oil, pour it over his head. I'm glad they didn't do this to me when I became a reverend. Pour it over his head. Thus, you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. The oil here marks the person as a priest. And when we live in unity, it's like this. So just pause for a moment. Just look around. Come on, you can. It's all Look around at each other. If you're anything like any church I've been a part of, you're all really different. I mean, if you go to the church at Philippi and they planted it, the first person's a rich foreigner called Lydia. The second is a slave girl who's been uh, condemned with a spirit for so long. And the third is an ex-Roman soldier. Look around you, you're so different. But look around each other and please just imagine this for a moment. Imagine oil running over each other's heads and shoulders. Because the first thing we should see when we look around us is not how they disagree with us, not how they've caused problems, not how they've ever done anything wrong, but we should first see them as a priest of Jesus Christ. We should first see oil flowing down them. We should look at each other at what we could be. But next to you now is someone that could offer you the words that brings you life in its fullness. Next to you is the person who could bring your child who's no longer with God back to faith. Next to you is someone that God might use to encourage you in life's most difficult places. I so nearly didn't become a reverend because I think we separate ourselves with the title. 
So please hear this. View each other as reverence. Each one of you anointed by God. And see that in other. Because the good news is, is that we're like that, we're told in that psalm, is that oil was used as a sign of God's presence. When you united and see each other as priests, God's presence will be amongst you. And here's the other exciting thing. Because in that psalm it says, and that's what life and eternity will be like. You know those moments when you've laughed so hard that the drink you've just drunk come out your nose? <laughs> you know those moments when you see in the other person that wonderful connection and you just finally got each other? Those moments when you've laughed so hard, those best dinner time meals, when you've got all the family back together. That's what eternity looks like in the time of this psalm. So when we see each other as reverence, when we see each other as priests, and are all day together, that's what the community looks like. And lastly, the thing we can do is pray vulnerably for one another. I don't know about you, but I feel that as a community of God's people, we sometimes hold each other at arm's length. I can tell you that if I speak to a man about their serious pastoral issues, they might tell me a bit about stress. It's rarely that they say, struggling with pornography. It's rare when I sometimes speak to a woman that I might hear of how they're feeling desperate or struggling, but when they go into their real deep self-esteem issues or the depression that they felt for a long time. And the first thing I want to ask each and every one of us to be is that we come to God's community to be vulnerable with one another. Because we have a Lord called Jesus Christ who went to Gethsemane who was so anxious about the cross that laid ahead of him, had blood start to appear in his forehead and run down his cheeks. He started to weep. And what did he do at his most vulnerable? What did he do at his most anxious? But he went back to his people and asked them to pray for him. Jesus, at his most vulnerable, went to be around those disciples who were with him. May we be a community that can go deep with one another, with no shame or embarrassment, but to be able to share with those around us, this is how I'm doing. This is where I'm struggling. Because in doing that, you give the other permission to say what they're going through. And I can promise you this. I've pastorally visited hundreds of people, and everybody has got pain and difficulty and struggles. And it's only when we're vulnerable that we can minister. And it's there that we see the beauty of God's healing. So we can be vulnerable for one another. And then we can pray for one another. Who here has heard in the last couple of weeks someone who's stressed, someone who's tired, someone who's struggling, someone who's got a relationship issue? Who's heard something like that in the last couple of weeks? Hands in the air. Keep your hands up if you prayed with that person. A couple, a few. It's my aim at Westbury to get us so comfortable with praying with one another that we cannot but pray for those in our community when they share how they're doing. I went to Uganda last summer, and for me there was two highlights, but the one highlight I want to share with you was I was in a service at New Life Baptist Church, and it was proper African. I've never felt so one of the middle class in my life. <laughs> I really can't dance. <laughs> and they started off the service with the song, This is the Day the Lord has Made. And then they went into loads of different verses. And this is Pastor Ben, this is Pastor Ben. And they made me get up and dance. <laughs> and I got dancing so I gave up drugs. So um, I remember there, and I was getting nervous because I had to preach. And there was about two hours after before I got to preach. And I was so edgy and I was so nervous. And then Gerald, the elder who I was there with, got up. And he said, before Ben comes, let's pray together. And he got everybody in the church to stand up. And he said, everybody in your freeze. And he said, I just want you all now to pray for each other and freeze and see that, you know, God will speak into the hearts and minds. And as I was there, I could feel the tent lift. You could feel the sense of God's people. At first, I was ecstatic. And then I was depressed. Because I realized if I'd gone to Westbury, and in the middle of the service, said, what if you break into freeze? You're going to lay hands and pray on each other. I'd probably have half a church the week after. Because actually... It's quite a scary thing to pray for each other. Something about us has found a barrier with that. But today, before we finish for lunch, I'm going to get you off praying and freeze.
because it doesn't matter to me if you don't come next week. <laughs> <laughs> Before we do that, I just want to give you some top tips, because I recognize that some of you have done prayer ministry training, some of you have prayed directly for people, but for some of you this might be a first thing. So I'm going to run through this as quickly as I can. The first is, if you want to be someone who prays for others, the first thing is, you must be someone who has a Gethsemane. You must be someone who spends as much time in your Gethsemane as you can. Because it's there that God will give you the words and the insights for each other. It's in that Gethsemane we can be praying, God, who do you want me to pray with? Who do you want me to speak to? Can you give me words that I might be able to bring in that time? And you might be thinking that sounds bonkers. Uh, but I came back to faith. We went to a New Frontiers church, which was really wacky, charismatic. And uh, we had a guy called Skip who ran our Alpha. And Skip shared that when he was praying in the morning before he did prayer ministry, God gave him the word bananas. And as all of you know, when you have a word by God, it's going to be about water or something quite poetic. And he had this word bananas. And uh, we went to the service. And uh, he said, he just kept giving this word bananas. And he thought, I can't share the word bananas. I'm joking. Anyway, the whole service went. He's feeling a bit uncomfortable. While well, he was having coffee, he went up to the minister and said, I've got this word bananas. It came to me in prayer. I can't get rid of it. I know it's stupid. And Jeff uh, just said, Well, everybody, come sit down. Skip's got a word for us. <laughs> <laughs> it's bananas. <laughs> and amazingly, uh, there was a lady there who had a bag of bananas with her who had just been told that she had a certain illness and a diet of high fiber. Is it for bananas, potassium? Someone said, well, I heard it when we lose something, the bananas, she had to eat lots of bananas. And uh, she came forth for prayer, and she was healed. So it was in our preparation that we asked God to speak to us and prepare us. The second thing I want to say is, be yourself. God's called you as you are. You don't need to be anything else. I did a placement in Bedmond stuff, and it was proper working class Victoria Park, and I loved it. I was with all the deacons, and we were talking about cars and mechanics, and it was proper gruff and... Yeah, it's great. And then it came to a time of prayer, and it broke my heart. As soon as we started praying, all these working class guys, and they were all guys, started praying middle class. They started saying, Lord, may your radiant love, you know. And I said, I want to say, you don't have to be anything other than you are. Just be you. God has called you. Just say the things that are on your heart. Say the things that might encourage. When we go off and pray for each other, ask the person you're praying for. What would you like prayer for? And when they say three things, don't judge them. Please don't advise them. They don't need advice. And three, don't make it personal. Don't say, I know how you feel, I've gone through that myself. Just lead them to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And then ask them, do you mind if I lay hands and pray for you? When you lay hands for someone, wait again. Listen to God. What might God be saying? What words might he be given? What pictures might he give you? What scriptures might encourage? What feelings might he let you know that they're going through? Then pray. Be yourself. Listen to others when they pray. Don't worry. Simple is best. And when it feels like there's not much going on, don't fill the space. I've got a spiritual director who is the worst spiritual director in the world because he tries to solve all my problems. But one day, the best meeting we ever had, he said, Dan, I don't feel called to talk to you about anything today. He said, I think we're just going to pray. And we sat down, and he came and put his hand on my head. And for 40 minutes, we sat in silence. We put his hand on my head. At first, I was annoyed because my foot was being flattened. <laughs> after a while, it was just the most wonderful feeling. So whilst we're praying, even if it's quiet, God's at work. The person you're praying for is having what I call a kairos moment. Take time. God is ministering when you're not. And then close a prayer shortly afterwards. But don't look for transformation and refer to an elder or pastor if it's something that really, really lays heavy. I want to ask that we spend time in freeze now. How many of you are going to come back tomorrow? <laughs> I don't know. It's a lovely day out there. So what I recommend is that just in freeze, we go off and we take it in turns for one person to be prayed for, then the other person to be prayed for, then the other person to be prayed for. Lay hands and pray into people's lives. Ask them what they'd like prayer for. 
are really encouraging on the way. How do we become one of these most beautiful communities that the world is crying out for? First, each one of us is all in, everything we've got for Jesus. Second of which, we see each other differently than we are, we see each other as reference. And third of all, we're vulnerable and pray for each other on the journey. One last story. There's a Baptist minister called John Fawcett. And John Fawcett was a pastor of a very small church up in the north somewhere, Waynescape, I think it was called. It's about 20 or 30 members. And whilst he was there, he was a brilliant speaker, brilliant writer. And he got the calling from a big Baptist church in London. And uh, he finally said, yes, I will go. I've made it. And on the day that the carriage of the horse and cart was packed with all this stuff, his 20 members of Waynescape came out and weeping said their goodbyes. And John Fawcett and his wife Mary looked at each other and Mary said these wonderful words, I don't know how to leave them. So they unpacked their wagon and they stayed in that church for the next 40, 50 years. And on the next Sunday they preached a sermon and uh, John Fawcett wrote a poem called Brotherly Love. And this is the hymn that we now sing from it. So I get emotional when I read this hymn, so forgive me. Blessed be the tie that binds us, our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour out our ardent prayers. Our fears, our hopes, our aims are one, our comforts and our cares. We share each other's woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathising tear. And when we are asunder apart, it gives us inward pain. But we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. The glorious hope revives our courage by the way, while each in expectation lives and longs to see the day. From sorrow, toil and pain and sin, we shall be free, and perfect love and friendship reign throughout all eternity. Make hands road be a church like that, but cannot but be together in all that you do. But you shine so brightly in your love and care for one another that the community see a church that shines like stars and they see a family that they want to be a part of. May you bring your all and everything you've got. May you come and pray for each other and may you see each other as reverence, the church, the community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.